Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you ready to challenge your rhetoric? Today is Thursday, August 4th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Tonight, the whole show is going to be about Pete Santilli. He's one of 26 individuals who are indicted for the January armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge near Burns, Oregon, otherwise known as the Oregon Standoff. Obviously, I've been reporting on this week after week. Santilli was also indicted along with 18 others in Nevada for their participation in the 2014 Bunkerville-Bundy Ranch Standoff. After months of being detained in an Oregon jail, Santilli had finally filed motions to sever his cases from his co-defendants so that he could run a 1A, a First Amendment defense, as a journalist. In my opinion, Santilli was not a journalist. However, he was an entertainer, and he was a media man. So, yes, he is a part of the media. I just personally don't consider him a journalist, but that's okay because there are people that don't consider me a journalist as well. Um, although I am, I'll challenge you on that. Anyhow, um, you know, being a part of the media, does it qualify him for something special when it comes to the First Amendment? A lot of um, internet bloggers, writers, podcasters, videocasters, they don't necessarily have some of the same protections with the shield laws that the legacy media has. But there's still, even with shield laws and stuff like that, I mean, there's, you, you can only go so far. But even those protections, what it doesn't do, even if he had them, is it still wouldn't excuse his behavior at both of the 2014 and 2016 standoffs. And there was some bad criminal behavior there. And uh, obviously that's up to a jury to decide, but that is my opinion and many people's opinion. So while he may not have been armed himself, he did put out public calls time and again for others all across the country to join him and the Bundys and their militia supporters that were there. And he was very sure to remind them to bring their weapons. He asked them to bring flowers too, but he did he did tell them to come arm, bring their arms. Santilli is an internet talk show host who broadcasts from YouTube with the show. It's also available on several other platforms, Spreaker. It was on the Talk News Network, uh, no longer now, but Spreaker, iTunes. Um, he might even be up on iHeartRadio. He's all over. He's got a huge following in the online world. There is no question, no doubt whatsoever there. And his his particular following, however large, is with a lot of there's a whole, <laughs> a whole bunch of what I call the everything is a conspiracy, conspiracy crowd. Um, I am well on record. I'm a conspiracy theorist to a certain degree. There are some conspiracies that I believe in. Studies show that pretty much everybody has at least one conspiracy that they believe in. Um, I'll care about yours if you care about mine. The thing is, though, is that with Santilli's crowd, it's such a high concentration. And he also has, as part of that crowd, uh, a pretty extreme anti-government kind of side to that with, with some of them, even more so than people perceive Santilli to be. Um, he got his start listening to Alex Jones, really, and initially he was one of Jones's biggest fans, and only later when he went off on his own, or maybe that's why he went off on his own, he has turned against Jones. There's been a lot of tension there. Since his January 26th arrest, him and his girlfriend and also co-host Deb Jordan and many of Santilli's supporters have been very, very vocal about Jones's lack of involvement in Santilli's case. Alex Jones is kind of like the conspiracy godfather to, to this whole movement as, as the spectator sees it as this umbrella movement. But that isn't all that they've been vocal about. If you listen to last night's show, you heard former Lavoie Finicum attorney Todd McFarlane tell Bundy and Santilli supporters, now this is an attorney, okay, an attorney that has somewhat been close to this case because of Lavoie, 
He told, he said to Bundy and Santilli supporters that what they are doing is hurting the cases. So will they listen? Will they learn? It's been six months, as I've said, and you can see some changes here and there, but then you also see some other people that are actually getting worse. And tonight's guest is a perfect example of kind of the listen and learn thing when it comes to Pete Santilli particularly, but also this whole online social media world covering news or current events and that sort of thing. When, uh, when you kind of go into something and you support something and you're misguided for whatever reason, even if you're only one misguiding yourself, um, you tend to end up doing negative things. So tonight, YouTube broadcaster Eric Wilkinson, the guy that you know as Spitfire and the Sentinel, he'll be joining us to discuss his time working on the Pete Santilli show, um, or working for the channel, not on the show per se. His, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit about his friendship with both Santilli and Deb, where he went wrong, along with others, and and where they've went wrong, and how he kind of feels about the whole mess because it kind of has become a mess, and those that have been following this show have experienced, particularly out of all social media and platforms, the craziness that seems to keep coming out of the YouTube world. So, But more than that, we're going to be discussing whether or not Centilli was the perfect patsy. And I'll explain that a little bit deeper, but I did repost an article that I wrote several months ago today, so you can, you know, you can go find that on Twitter or on the website. Um, as well as on the Facebook page and all that. I'll give you those details in a minute as well. So when the guest comes on, we're going to discuss kind of what did, what did Pete do wrong from, from Spitfire's perspective, from my perspective as well, and that we're not necessarily going to agree on some things. What, what Pete should have done, what is still to come for him and for Deb. And so we're going to look at some things like was there a better track for a defense for Pete Santilli? Is Vice Media really going to testify on his behalf in either or both of the states? And if so, what would their testimony mean, if anything? Um, is there going to be some involvement with people like Loretta Lynch, uh, you know, or even some of the constitutional sheriffs coming forward out of the state? You know, that, you know, are somebody going to start endorsing Santilli as media? Some supporters have been saying so. Well, and what about that Ohio gun charge? To me, there is still a lot of question there and how it could potentially have a lot of relevance in the Oregon standoff case, as I've written about and as I've talked about on the show. And we're also going to talk just a little tiny bit about, hey, you know, Santilli has said, like Susan Posel and Vinnie Eastwood and several others have been saying for a couple of years, passing around that old FBI facts and, and all the other stuff, all this stuff has been propagated about him. I think at this point, you know, he's he's been detained six plus months now. I think at this point, anyone that still believes Santilli is a Fed and you're passing any of that garbage around, well, you know how I feel about that. And so to the listeners, those are not even people to even really pay much attention to at all, if any, because that, those are the kind of roads that are going to steer you the wrong way. Now, I'm not saying that maybe those people don't put out some good stuff from time to time, but you really have to pay attention to what you're sharing. Sharing is not always caring. So what should Santilli supporters have been doing before? What should they be doing right now? Santilli was my friend. I, I would like to say he's still a friend, but there's so many haters of Sherry Roberts out there that got him hating on me just as much. But, you know, whatever. You know, things are what they are. But I saw a different side of Santilli that few people have ever seen. Only people that were close to him in some way. Now, I certainly had no kind of relationship like Deb Jordan has with Pete Santilli. We didn't have that man-woman relationship. It was purely professional. But we had developed a friendship over a certain period in our lives where we both had a need of something that the other had to get through that time. For me, it was I needed to do some writing and make some quick money. For him, he needed somebody to talk to because he was having a personal crisis. Now, that being said, that side of Santilli that I saw is what makes me take pause, whereas a lot of people that follow me just want to blanket, you know, their 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 dislike for everything that's happened on everybody. And I've been slowly over the months trying to teach people about finding more out about each one of these individuals because their motivations all come from somewhere and we can't understand what is really has happened and what's going on until we understand the people themselves. And I do have a different understanding of Pete Santilli. So, uh, you know, hate on me if you will, but that's just the way it is. I feel that tonight's guest also has similar kind of feelings on this 
And because of his very close involvement during the whole Oregon standoff, it's going to be uh, an interesting perspective to, to hear. But before we get cracking and I bring Spitfire on, here's what you need to know to participate with us during the live show. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news. I'm on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. Tonight we're using the hashtag CTR, Pete Santilli, Oregon Standoff, and Bundy Ranch. All of the stories I cover are available on the website at challengingrhetoric.news. You can chat with us in the listener chat room during the show, the live show, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challengingrhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's spelled C-H-E-R-I. Click on show number 38. The chat room is going to appear right underneath the slider. If you're already on that page and you're listening but you don't see a chat room, refresh your page and you should be able to find it right there. Just scroll down beneath that slider. Remember, this is a dialogue always, not a debate. There's no personal attacks or any kind of overaggression, no trolling. None of that's going to be tolerated in the chat room. I'll bump you right out. And obviously, if you're listening to an archive show, there's no live chat to join. So here we go. Let's go ahead and get Spitfire on the show. Um, this is going to be interesting because Spitfire and I, um, he, we have not been friends. <laughs> We've only recently had some conversations. And it's not like we're besties or anything like that, but we're coming to understandings about different things that, you know, about these cases that maybe we didn't know about, things that, you know, that we can share and or, or things that he knows and things that I know together make sense on something. So I'm going to let Spitfire tell you a little bit about himself when uh, when he comes on here. Hey, Eric, Spitfire, Wilkinson, welcome to Challenging the Rhetoric. Hey, Sherry, what's up? Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, great. Great to have you. It's a, it's a crazy windy night here, listeners, so if I start echoing or I magically drop off the air or something, uh, you know the drill. I'm here at the Oregon coast, and uh, anything could happen with the Internet. So, uh, Eric, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about – now, before you do, let me preface this. My my audience is extremely diverse, so there's going to be a handful of people who are aware of you, and then the majority has, doesn't know anything about you. So why don't you tell them, what do you, what do, you do for a living, just kind of quickly about you? Oh, sure. Well, I'm a, uh, a boxing instructor, kickboxing instructor, personal trainer, um, massage therapist, nutritionist. I kind of run the gamut in the fitness world. Um, I was 2009 lightweight national champion. And I love mixed martial arts and boxing. And uh, my passion is healing people. Um, you and I, we hit it right off because we're both in the naturopathic medicine, which is so important. You know, I'd love to come back um, and do a, a less intense show where we can show people how to heal themselves. Yeah, that would be good. I have a lot to heal. Um, what, he's, what he's referring to is I was once marketing director of an alternative health clinic. And um, because I'm a marketing and SEO expert, and so I did all the marketing for alternative health, which meant I had to actually study all the stuff that I was writing about, and I learned a lot, and it changed a lot of the different things that I do in my life. I still have bad habits. I still do things, you know, that I shouldn't do, and or you know, or don't do enough of the things that I should. But um, you know, it gets better and better, you know, every every day. And I mean, that's that's just the human nature of it. We we all evolve. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit, and yeah, and I agree, I would love to do kind of a show like that and because I'd like to talk about juicing and some other things. And then it gives me an opportunity to actually talk about my health because I know there's some people that are curious. So uh, anyhow, so why don't you tell us a little bit about like when you started actually working with the Santilli show. I mean, I don't necessarily want to say you worked for the Santilli show. I don't know that you were on the payroll or anything to that. I mean, only you know, but, you know, can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, thank you. And I, yeah, I was never on the payroll. I I did it because um, I liked the message that was going out there. Uh, we shared a lot of the same interests. How I really got involved with Pete Santilli was uh, my partner, uh, Spitfire and the Sentinel, the Sentinel part of it, of Samaritan Sentinel, Jeff Hayes, author of Rise of the New World Order, The Calling of Man, which is the number one best-selling book in Britain right now for biblical prophecy. And he had been on Pete's show Quite a few times, and nice plug. Um, <laughs> nice plug for Jeff. Right, I, you know what? I love Jeff, and I hope maybe you can have him on sometime because Jeff is just such a, a good-hearted man. And those are we need more people like that on the Truth Movement for sure. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the the listeners are starting to, um, you know, I've been very upfront about, you know, my beliefs and, you know, and different my past as an activist and stuff like that. So, I think that there are some people um, and some subjects that they're probably much more apt to at least want to 
give it a chance to hear, you know, for whatever reason, that maybe they would have, um, you know, months ago. But anyway, so back to, you know, the Peace Antilles show and what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a shameless plug. <laughs> My bad. That's anyway, okay. um, yeah. um, so yeah, so Jeff Jeff had it in with him, and I was watching his show, and uh, he gave me a call, and we started talking, and one thing led to another, and you know I was promoting out of his show, and um, he had told me he had been um, watching our show, so we hooked up, and that would have been about six months ago, and this was uh, very close to when they left for Oregon, maybe. Uh, let's see, maybe a month uh, before the whole Oregon debacle started. And so I didn't really get a chance to know him that well. Um, and off he was on to Oregon. So that's how we ended up hooking up. Nice, nice. So when um, – what was it you actually were doing? I, I, it's my understanding, and I could be completely wrong – it's happened before. Um, you know, you were kind of, once Pete went to Oregon and stuff, you were handling, like, kind of the tech side for him with the show because he was being, you know, mobile? Sure, similar to that. I, I'm not really all that great with computers and tech. In fact, I just started doing my own show uh, probably six months before that, um, actually running the whole show. There's a difference between just showing up and having somebody else push all the buttons for you and running your own show. So when he went to Oregon, uh, he asked me to help live stream, you know, to work with, with things of that nature um, because you could see when he was in Oregon that he had a lot of trouble with the feeds and such. So I was just helping with that, helping with the call in lines, make sure those were up and running, things of that nature. So not, nothing too intense, not until uh, Pete was arrested. And then it, then it kind of changed a little bit, my role. I, I started um, – making sure that things like making sure that the videos were monetized for him. Um, right. Not that I was asked to do that. Just looking out, you know, the man's in jail, obviously, and that's his only income stream. So I want to make right. sure that was done. And, um, you know, once in a while I'd upload a video. So, you know, I wasn't – actually, I wasn't that involved with the station uh, after he went to jail that much. You know, basically, I just asked Deb, let me know what I can do, and I'll do anything that you need – uh, done on there in Pete's absence. Just let me know. So that was well, that was my role there. I think it got overblown, Sherry, about how much of a role I really had on that station. Well, I, you know, could be, could be. That could be totally true. Um, I think that when you know, in those early days after after his arrest, I think that Deb was pretty vocal uh, in in some live streams, and she was always, you know, leaning on you publicly always talking about you um, and how much you were helping and, and stuff like that. So I think a lot of the perception actually came from Deb and what she was putting out there. Um, now, before we get into kind of what changed, I, I because this is a curiosity for everybody to a certain extent, because you and I have talked a little bit now before doing the show and stuff, and what was it that kind of gave you, because – I think you're realizing now that there's there's some things that you didn't know or there's some things that maybe you don't like after all or whatever the case may be, and we'll get into some of that, but there's kind of a blind loyalty, there's blind support that we see across the board with a lot of different causes and movements and people and stuff like that. Because, you know, you listen to the cult series, right? Oh, yeah. We got into the – we talked about how we were both in 9-11 – Truth Cult and uh, Fraudio right. Marty, people, people like that. So, you know, I should have known a lot better, and I definitely should have vetted a lot. I should have vetted a lot better than I did. Everybody involved well, in this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you and I, we had a lot. Of, there was a lot of animosity going uh, going on um, up until just recently, really. Um, and most of it is just based on not, you know, I mean, you were just so 100% in support like blanket wise where right. it didn't matter just if anybody even mentioned Pete's name or Deb's name and you didn't and the person you know was not a supporter it didn't even really matter what they said I mean it was like they're bad people in in, in your and many people's eyes at, the, at at those times so that blind support because I talk about all the time when I talk about cults or, or even just cult mentalities you know or or cult behaviors and stuff like that and that that whole blind 
faith, really. You know, I mean, if you believe in God, blind faith, I understand it. That's what the Bible says, you know, that it that it's about. But for anything else than that, just having blind faith is just kind of a scary thing. And I think you've kind of experienced that a couple times. And just FYI to the listeners, this is the second time in uh, as many years, uh, it's been almost three years, second time in almost three years that uh, Eric and I have kind of gone head to head Although the last time around, I just I wasn't aware of him at all and what he was doing, but I was public enemy number one, and that was the whole Claudia Marty thing to do with the 9/11 truth movement. So it's kind of ironic that here, you know, we we went for a second round. But yeah, that's that, that so one I figured it. out pretty quick too. Uh, okay, well, good and, for you. And I wish more ironic? people had. <laughs> <laughs> What's ironic is that you know once I figured it out, I went to your page and I used a lot of the information that you had on him. Uh, against him and calling them out. So you actually, like, I thought you were great. And then what happens in these these little cults, and I'm going to call them cults because they act that way because whether you present them with facts, they still turn a blind eye to them. But, right. you know, rumors would fly around, things that supposedly you said or did, you know, and, and because you're only seeing one side of the equation, you tend to believe that. Now, the people that I went after hardest usually were just the people that were just uh, – they were they were vile. They were just they were saying mean things, you know. Like I I hope Pete's got a bunch of lube, and you know, just just evil mean right. things like that. Really really bothered me because I I saw no compassion whatsoever, regardless of of what they've done or what your opinion is of them. They're still sitting in a cell, and the fact is that that's pretty big punishment in itself. It is. It is. And I and you know I mean I I I'm well on record that that. You know, I, I believe that Santilli has done some wrong here. But even me, who in the Santilli's crowd has perceived to be this enemy, I've taken a lot of flack from non-supporters over me, you know, giving a shit about Santilli or some of the others and stuff like that. But it goes back to me understanding, you know, even though I knew Santilli, I've been a part of these groups and many of these people we've crossed paths. And since this happened, many of them I've gotten to, you know, like, not necessarily know them one-on-one, uh, but to understand them based on their histories and by, by caring enough to find out what those histories are and not judging the history, just putting it into the context of the now. And I think that that's how we come about solutions. So what what really happened? Um, because, you know, I I have a little clip of you in in, in one of my, my – in the cult series – um, about when basically Santilli fired you, even though you weren't on his payroll. But there was stuff <laughs> right. that led up to all of that. And so, you know, just kind of briefly, what what kind of happened in a nutshell? What changed your mind, or you know, got you frustrated, or? Well, you know, it first started when we were getting ready to put together a network called the Sentinels of Truth, which was we were going to put together a bunch of different shows, and we were going to run it completely professionally. Um, with commercials, uh, ads for naturopathic medicine, um, nonstop broadcast, 24-hour chat. We were going to put that together. So we'd get together, a lot of us, and a lot of the people that we got together with were obviously people that were involved either on Pete's network or they were, they were mods on Pete's network. So we'd get to chatting, and um, one night I'm in there, and, and these are all people that are much closer to Pete and Deb than me, and they started, they were all pissed off at Deb. And I'm like, what's going on in here? So, well, she's, she's spending money. She's buying, like, the most expensive meals and renting expensive cars and staying in expensive hotel rooms and things like that. And I was pissed. Boy, was I pissed off. I was so mad. I, I told them basically all to go off themselves. You know, I don't want to hear this about Deb. So, once again, the cult mentality just kicked in. I didn't want to hear it. And, and one of those individuals uh, was Mike Soror. He was he was probably the maddest of them all, and um, he had said that he sent. I think he said four hundred twenty-five dollars. So I mean, right there, I'm I'm even getting a little more pissed off because I know I know Mike didn't have four dollars and twenty-five cents to send, let alone four twenty-five. Um, but right. at that point, I didn't want to believe anything. So as time went on, I you know I noticed that I wasn't hearing anything from Deb. Um, she was taking all her interviews to other stations. I was hearing nothing. You know, I, I had asked Deb to give Pete my new number because uh, my blonde butt decided to, uh, before I found <laughs> Skype calling, uh, give out my number when people wanted to call into our show, which was a bad move. So I changed my number. So I told Deb, you know, give Pete my number, tell him to call me, 
and I went out and I got one of those uh, jail calling cards to where they can call you unlimited times in a month, you know, and I'm waiting, I hear nothing. And next thing you know, I'm locked out of the station. I'm like, well, what the heck's going on here? You know, I started putting two and two together. Then people were whispering in my ear that, you know, Deb thinks you're a fed. And and that was just after all that. And I, I started thinking about what all these people were saying. I, yeah. So that night, we know what happened that night. <laughs> I, you know, I uh-huh. made a 4 a.m. phone call with Mike Soror and, and called her out on some of these things. And, and the craziest thing was, and here goes that cult mentality again. I had people like well-known names like GMN Ken, Ben Time Traveler, you know, Dallas Ahern. Yeah. Uh-huh. They were all live with me and they were all agreeing with me on these facts that I brought up about Deb. So they were kind of like amping me up to make the call to Deb. You know, I'm like, okay, everybody's got my back. So I, I made the call and obviously that was the biggest turning point of them all. And that's when Deb came on air and, or came on, came on the phone and we were on air and bald face lied (laughs) to all our viewers. And the rest is there. There's many other things um, in addition to that, that I started investigating, but after that, I really started investigating, but th- that would have been it. The fact that she had told Pete Santilli that I had been speaking with him. Now I was doing shows five days a week at the time. Right. And everybody knew how big of a supporter right. I, Pete was. So it would be obvious that if I had spoken with Pete, I would have said it on air, you know, and never did. So that, that was bald face right. lie. Number one, she told Pete that I had been speaking with him. Where that came from, I have no idea. And I think she just panicked. You know, she panicked and she called Pete real quick and thought something up. And, and it, it was a big mistake because it was a bald-faced lie. Number two was when she was on air, she had said that the reason that Mike Soror and I had been locked out of the station is because we got copyright strikes for the station, multiple copyright strikes. Well, Doom and I spoke with the network administrator. And hold on, clearly, hold on. So the, wait, Eric, hold on a moment. Uh, sure. So the listeners know you and I know who you're talking about. You're talking, he's talking when he's with Doom. He's talking about Professor Doom, who's a YouTube broadcaster who has an incredible number of um, subscribers to his channel, and is somebody that Pete Santilli. I don't know how he feels now, but at the at the time, uh, was somebody Pete Santilli really dug. Anyways, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, yeah, and Doom. Doom's a good guy. He's a real good guy, and what I really respect about Doom, give another quick shameless plug, is that he, when he's wrong, he admits it, and he has, you know, so he can, he has the ability to do that. I wish more would have that ability. So anyway, we talked to the network administrator. He said, no, you didn't get any strikes, Eric, at all. Scott Jowler, who was the head mod, um, got the strikes, and that was, he was broadcasting real late at night, and he fell asleep, and on his mistake, some, some music started playing, and... So that's where the strikes came from. So anyway, that's number two. So these are just two blatant, bald-faced lies, which have been proven as fact as lies. But that right. didn't seem to matter to a lot of the faithful followers. They just didn't care. <laughs> so, you know, I did a show the next day and, and brought out these facts, and it's, I seemed to have support, and then everything uh, took a turn south. That's when, that's when everything started changing, everybody started changing. And a, a lot of the people that I was close with um, started pulling away and it was pretty obvious that the dev had gone and spoke with these people and that was it. They just, they get starstruck uh, by Pete and Deb and, and the rest was history. So, you know, people started dropping off, you know, honestly, most of the people that started the, the one to start the network with me, uh, I'm still friends with. And the ones I, I was not friends with almost every one of them uh, has come back. And just like you as forgiving as so many of these people have been, I mean, I was a, dick to some of these people uh, some of my friends who are constitutional sheriffs and and they mm-hmm. took me back with open arms and, and they totally understood and i want to put this out here too if if you know if somebody has, has done me wrong and and they realize it of course i will forgive you how could i well, not and, and that's right and and, then, and that's I, and i think i i want to point something out that's important that gets lost when there's division and movements whatever the movement is every single cause every single movement has all this fracturing that, that inevitably happens in them but in this particular situation particularly with the youtubers but even with a lot of just the, the facebookers and stuff what i have actually seen and thought is a benefit is the more you guys have all splintered and fractured 
the more aware that you're becoming of other aspects to this and understanding that y'all haven't been always right about some of the stuff with regards to Pete or the others or whatever. I remember um, when the severing first began, kind of knowing how things were going to start rolling out because I've done this before, you know, you know, covered cases and stuff before. And so, you know, I was like, I put out there, you know, I wonder how the YouTuber is going to react when Santilli severs his case from the others because if it looks at any time, what if Santilli were to, you know, decide to give evidence or whatever against Ammon or, what, or, or you know, or one of the others, how are you going to support both at, in those scenarios? Because that's how, how, like, locked in to everything everybody was. So with the fracturing, people are starting to come, become more and more aware. One thing I would like to say in, in Deb Jordan's uh, on her behalf is that initially, uh, you know, and I tried to reach out to her initially after the arrest and everything because what I saw her doing and people close to her like Maureen Peltier, they were doing the exact wrong thing in many people's opinion, including legal professionals as far as the behaviors because they were basically proving the charges right about the, you know, about Santilli inciting people. And a lot of that still happens, but it was really bad in, in those first couple months. And so, you know, all those things are, are kind of important. So with Deb, you know, I think I think there was a time earlier on, not not in the very beginning, but early on, that I think that, you know, Thomas Cohn, the attorney here in Oregon, maybe maybe the one in Nevada as well, you know, cautioned her and said, you need to stop, you know, doing this and stop doing that. And Deb being Deb wants to do those things because she's, you know, been doing this with Santilli for, what, four more four or more years now, um, you know, even when she was going under Susanna Cole, which was the, most of the time um, that they were together and doing the show. But the, you know, the thing is, is that there are certain times that, People can't be what they've been or what people expect them to be. And the reality was is I actually felt very bad for Deb, um, not just when this thing happened with you and stuff, but even before that because I could see other people were getting antsy and anxious and making a lot of demands on her from the social media world without actually, you know, they could sit there and talk and, oh, I support Pete and, oh, um, <clears throat> I feel bad for you or, oh, you must be tired, you must be busy and everybody trying to be helpful that was close to her at the same time because of the expectations that everybody had from her to constantly be filling them in and share stuff and put her in a position of sharing stuff maybe she can't share, you know, or maybe the fact she just needed to go and cry, you know, couldn't, you know, for her own reasons. So maybe because I'm a chick, I think of those things. I don't know. But that was something that, you know, kind of has bothered me. Now, uh, you know, the way I, I see is it, it appears that Deb has really reigned a lot in, not not enough, but she has reigned a lot in. And, and I think that, you know, her going back to Ohio and kind of getting back a little bit, you know, to, to her life is, is what she needed. I mean, this is a long, drawn-out thing. It's going to be a long, drawn-out thing still to come. And she was really to a point, like all people would be, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, a person can only take so much. So I, I want to give that, you know, to Deb, and um, I, because I think we can't get that lost. And that's to all the families involved uh, with these with these people that are awaiting trials and and their sentencing for those that have have pleaded out. You know, there's it don't matter if you hate on them or not. What you know, but you've got to have some kind of understanding of the real angst and real pain that's happening and even for those that are you know self-perpetuating but on that um since we're uh talking about lies and such i'm going to jump over to liar of the week real quick hang tight eric So Santilli fires Spitfire. So speaking of firing, right, um, I think the uh, state of Nevada in their own way by votes and whatnot have <laughs> fired Assemblywoman Michelle Fiore. Now, here's the thing with Michelle Fiore. She is the liar of the week. She's been the liar of the week a few times. This is not her first appearance on the liar list, and I am sure it won't be the last. But this week Fiore went on Newsmax, and she's claiming that a friendly source within the FBI has assured her 
that the federal government has no case whatsoever, zero case whatsoever, against any of the 19 co-defendants in the 2014 Bundy Ranch case. Are you serious? Okay, first of all, that's just plain ridiculous. But sadly, here's the big problem with it. The problem isn't so much that she told a lie. The problem is, is that the supporters, the Bundy and Santilli supporters, because Santilli is also a part of the Nevada case, they're, they're, they're eating it up. They completely hook, line, and sinker believe this. They're virally passing it around as if it's like biblical scripture, just like they did when she lied about former Harney County, Oregon Fire Chief Chris Breals, which turned out to not be true. And it was Fiore that put it out there, and Oath Keepers picked it up. You know, Fiore did an official press release, press release for COWS, Coalition Western States, Fiore the Assemblywoman. She is. Uh, she just has a really shameful habit of leading a lot of messed up uh, people or misled people. Let's say that misled. Okay, she's misleading people when she's doing it, and she's leading them straight to jail. And she's doing it with statements, you know, like she made on Newsmax. They're just part of the fuel that she throws at at people. I mean, people are like collateral damage to this woman or something. I mean, she don't need a gun. She, her mouth and her lies do it for her. Shame on you, Michelle Fiore. You are the liar of the week. You lie to incite. You lie and sell your public, all of the public. You get involved in my state here in Oregon. You told lies. What are you doing for David Fry? Not hearing anything about it. No wonder they wouldn't vote you into Congress. You're just kind of a sad siren, and again, you're challenging the rhetoric flyer of the week. Shame on you. put out um, a video that I had seen, and it, it was kind of what made me go ahead and reach out and say hello, And uh, but in it, um, there are several people I shared the video, so I know a lot of people listening saw or heard the video, and I know their curiosity is there, because you had said that you have just tons of audio um, between you and Santilli, or you and Deb, and all of that stuff, and all, you know, that whole situation from all those months, and... Um, so, you know, very curious. In in all of this that you have, um, of the stuff that has never been aired, I don't know if it's just conversations that you had that for whatever reason you recorded, whatever, is it anything that the feds would be interested in, good or bad? I mean, is it stuff that can help or hurt his case? Um, before we get into that, I just want to add on to what you were saying about Deb before, too. I think it's, it's very relevant oh, sure. to how this went down, just because – you know, a month went by and I didn't hear from her, and I, was, I made all kinds of excuses like, you know, she's busy, she's grieving, you know, this is craziness. But then two months went by, and that, that's when, you know, that, that was a little too long when I, as, as far as uh, then getting locked out of the station and such. So, again, right. I, I want people to show as much compassion as possible uh, for all these people, and I, I want to put this on record that I do not believe that any of those people should be in, any of the patriots should be in there uh, without bail. We have, we have rapists and child molesters that get bail. They should they should not be in there without bail. I'm wondering. I'm I, looking I in the comments section. I, I'm wondering what they think. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you that we have rapists and child molesters, you know, pedophiles that that get out without bail. Okay, even the dude that pulled the gun with the mega clip here at the Portland protest, the Black Lives Matter protest. Um, he's trying to claim he's a reporter, and you know, da 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 da. Nobody was charging him. Nobody. He was perfectly safe. Um, and he got bail, it was high bail, but he got bail and he got out. Um, but I, I would say this, so I do believe that there are people that are in there that need to be in there without bail. I'm not necessarily saying that Santilli is one of those. Ryan Payne, most definitely. I, I don't think that Jason Blomgren should have got pretrial release. And I mean, I can go down the list, but I, I do think that the government has specifically kept let's say, Ammon and, and Ryan Bundy, not just because Ammon's the quote-unquote leader, but because I think that they believe that the, they have a certain kind of clout in that world with the militias and whatnot, that if they were let out on bail and because they are following all the sovereign citizen stuff, that they would just do another standoff. So I believe that there are very real and legitimate reasons that they haven't. Sure. I, I'd agree with that for the most part, but 
um, you know, they could, they could put tethers on them. There's ways to really, really monitor them closely. Yeah, well, true. Uh, but, you know, I, I heard that um, from somebody very close to him, I heard Jason Blomgren uh, tinkered with his his GPS tracking thing. And I actually tried to follow up with the child services as well as the locals, and uh, I actually would have to get um, basically, like, I, I forget the word, like some kind of an injunction or something. I would say I'd, to, I'd just go through a big process, a big legal process, to even potentially get that information, just a yes or no on it. But anyways, so... Um, sure, and I agree with you on Payne, yeah. too. With the new information <laughs> that's emerging about Ryan Payne as far as uh, wanting to blow shit up, <laughs> excuse my language, um, yeah, that he would definitely be one that you would have to look at not giving bail to. Well, you know, I made the show rated R tonight because you were going to be on it. <laughs> well, you know, that's the first swear word yeah. yet. I've been really yeah. working so on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, real, real quick with regards to pain, here's here's what's sad. And, and I'm glad that now you are learning stuff and seeing stuff. But other than the latest stuff with regards to Malier, all the other stuff and all that other pre-knowledge and all that other his whole persona of what he was about was, was has been available for a long time for anybody to know. But you have to want to believe that that's pot- potentially true before you can then look further into it and care. Because, again, we, we, we all have our confirmation biases, and so we just like, ah, you know, that can't be true, or, oh, that's just the media saying that, or, oh, that's somebody disgruntled or whatever. So a lot of that stuff about pain was public knowledge um, already. It just the recent stuff with the explosives at Melier is what's new. So, um, okay, back to the audio. So I guess my, my big question, I think, because it's relevant, is the audio recordings that you've had, is it stuff that would hurt or help Pete's case or neutral, even either or? Uh, probably a little both. I mean, I've uh, what I did is a lot of people know about this. You can get a recorder on your phone, and it just records everything automatically. So it wasn't right. like I was doing it. Um, and he, I told him I had it on there. Um, so I haven't had a chance to go through a lot of the audio yet. And, and again, uh, I think with what he's facing already, <laughs> I don't think I would, I would pile anything else on, even if I found it at this point. I mean, right. I just, <laughs> well, no, that wasn't again, the point that's, in the question. that's me trying to, I don't want to hurt people. I did not get into this, uh, to hurt people. I got into this to help people, you know, and that, that's why it was just heartbreaking uh, to go through this sharing. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And and my question isn't about like, oh, is there something in there you can snitch on them? That's not my question. Because my assumption would be any communiques that Pete was having were surveilled. Um, and I don't see any of that on the evidence list, the exhibit list that the government put out last week. So, I mean, if, uh, they they would have to be at least somewhat aware to begin with. And, if, you know, they have, they have quite the case already. Um, but I, I think that basically when – you know, when you did your video and you talked about having it and everything, mm-hmm. I want the listeners yes. to understand that you're not, for whatever reason that you said you had it, that your intentions are not nefarious to go and try to do something with it, good, bad, or ugly. It's just you have this audio, and it's more you you were conveying that, you know, your relationship with Pete and the conversations that you had you know, that, that, that there are different sides of Pete that people don't know, even people that, that think they're close to him because they're like some longtime fan. Correct. And I, I wanted to, you know, listen back and see, because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, obviously, from from what we saw uh, in my video uh, about right. Pete, uh, such as I spoke with several different police officers I've had uh, some of my reporters actually, one of my reporters lives in Cleveland, oddly enough, and gun charges don't just get dropped. You're talking about somebody who's, who's you know, in, in the FBI and the government size, somebody who's completely anti-government, um, who spoke out against them, and when you get caught with a gun, you just don't get a pass and the charges go away. That just, that doesn't make any sense. So uh, there's two possible scenarios Right now, again, um, speaking to the police officers, a lot of their their questions were kind of like a, with a wink and a nudge. <laughs> so, and, and again, you know, it's it's just hearsay because obviously I'm not going to be able to use their names unless they they allow me to, which they might, they might. But right, you know, the first the first thing would be, you know, they let him go so he could go film. There's a difference between somebody who works for the FBI and an FBI asset. 
that the IASA would be somebody right. who helps them but doesn't necessarily work with them. So I wanted to uh, separate the wheat from the chaff and figure out the truth here. So that, that, that was a big one, um, possibly uh, set up by the FBI as a publicity stunt to bring more people to view him and the whole Oregon, what was going on in Oregon. So there's a couple different scenarios that we're investigating. As I said, um, as soon as I am 100% sure and have concrete proof, uh, I'll form my opinion. But, you know, and the other thing is that people would say that, well, if, if he's an FBI informant or an asset, then he, he wouldn't still be in jail. But there was a guy named Hal Turner a while back who was also an FBI informant who ended up doing decades in prison. Um, you know, how much money would you accept to sit in, sit in prison for six months or a year? You know, I know a lot of people that they take, they take $100,000 to sit in prison for six months, you know, and then, and then come out come back and probably have more viewers and have freaking even more of a drive when he gets out. So, I mean, there's that, that one doesn't fly with me that, and I used to use that one. That's the funniest part, Sherry. That was my biggest one is, Oh yeah, he's in, he's in jail. So, uh, how the heck could he, because, you know, it's, there's something called protective custody too. These are things that we just kind of, we got to look at, we got to look at, uh, we got to look at all angles of the situation and uh, come to our own logical conclusion. Certainly. I, I want to interject on that um, because I, I've talked about this uh, copiously on my show. And I'm very, you know, I'm on the record for this, and I, and I, and I stand by this. Now, I knew Santilli face-to-face. Um, I have known him for a couple of years, and we, we got – um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking on the phone together as well as, uh, you know, in private messages on social media. I'm sure the feds have seen them all, <laughs> um, you know, including before he <laughs> was arrested. Um, but the thing is, is that I I know that Pete Santilli is not a fed. And I, you know, you can take this or leave this. I mean, it's totally up to you to form your own opinion, like you said. He's not a fed. He's not uh, a confidential informant. He's not um, working for them in any known way. The way in which Santilli was really working for the feds was by default, and that is what I believe happened with that Ohio gun charge. I believe that he was, in fact, on the terrorist list, and that's why the the feds got involved right from the get-go from that stop. Now, keep in mind, the day before that he got arrested. He actually, on his show, said he was going to get arrested and get accused of being a terrorist, and he was going to have a warrant for Bundy Ranch. He said that on the show the day before that Ohio arrest, FYI, on his um, off-the-hook show with Deb. And, um, and it's in, by the way, if you're listening, that video is one of the 15 videos that is listed in the government's exhibit list that I compiled all together with the help of Chaos View from YouTube um, and put out in an article today so that those of you that were interested in what exactly those videos are, you don't got to seek them out. I, I did that for you. Anyhow, back to, you know, Pete Santilli and, and, and feds and, and this case and all of that. I believe that the Santilli was very much everybody's perfect patsy. Um, everybody got what they wanted out of Pete. And Pete, as far as the feds go, they let him go because they knew that he would do the same thing that he went to when he did at Bundy Ranch and in Baltimore and all that, and he's going to film, 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 and he's going to be the way that he is, and he is going to um, always, you know, he's always over the top because he's a showman in that way, and he's, he's he can also be very much the punk. But regardless, they knew that they would have eyes in there, and they knew because that day that he got pulled over, according to Pete, he was in he that he was leaving to go to Oregon that day. They needed Pete to go to Oregon. They didn't hire him to do it. He was already going on his own steam and money from Talk Talk News Network. All right. So, but once he was there and he was just doing what Pete does. I mean, it, Pete is a very simple man. You know how he's going to behave if he knew anything at all about Pete and his show. There was no no. No big question mark there <laughs> about what you would get out of Pete. Now, from the Bundy side of that, Pete was so so happy and so on fire for Christ, so to speak, after the Bundy Ranch thing that he would do anything for the Bundys. And, um, you know, he started believing in more and more things that had to do and were aligned with their cause, which he added to his mix. But he wanted to he thought that was a like a ticket to stardom to a certain extent. And so he was bending over backwards. Pete is very much like a like a 
I don't know how to say it, like a um, like a puppy. Okay, he's very much like a very excitable puppy, and um, and so you know, and when the bunnies are patting him on the head, I mean that's that's just filling him up, filling that ego up. He's got he's got something there. They they took advantage of that with Pete. It doesn't mean that Pete didn't do things wrong, but that's, in my opinion, that is exactly what has transpired with regards to Pete Santilli, and those are the things that had emboldened him. The feds knew that they could get out of him what he wanted without having to actually involve him with them at all. But anyways, so um, we only got a few more minutes. We've got about five minutes left before I start closing out the show. So, Eric, why don't you, why don't you tell the listeners, regardless of what you know, their social media poison is, um, whether they're fans of yours, haters of yours, fans of mine, haters of mine, or just happen to randomly be listening, tell them what is the best advice that you can give them on any situation, any cause, any groups of people when it comes to social media, when it comes to blind support, when it comes to what you're putting out there because because it's being driven by that blind loyalty. Great question, and this is something that we had talked about we wanted everybody to know. I, I just just to backtrack just for a second, and then I'll go into that. Um, yeah, he was going to Oregon. He was planning it, but that could have been pre-planned too that he was going to go to Oregon. You know, that's that's what I'm saying. If you there's so many different angles to look at everything, and that segues us into what you the question you were asking me is. You know, you need to take your time to get to know people. I, what really turned me off was when everybody was calling each other family. Now these are people, a lot of them right. weren't even using real names and they were just icons. That's, that's, and then people were kind of turned off by me when I said, you know, that that's not family. Like there was something wrong with it, me thinking that way. And I said, no, well, no, I have family and I have a wife and I have kids. That's my family. I have, I have really close friends, the best man at my wedding. That would be considered family, <laughs> but not somebody I just met in a random chat room. So do your research and, and do it well before you form opinions, like to look back at it and to see just the, the mismatch of, of people that were in, together in Oregon working together that had absolutely nothing in common. Uh, yeah. Just blew my like, mind. I say it every show, I, I pretty much every show, Adam and Bundy, John Ritzheimer, Pete Santilli, put them all right. in a room. What do they have in common? Absolutely nothing except that they're men. And the fact that they have some kind of, you know, hatred or, disgust or disgruntledness over the United States government. That's it. There's there's nothing else there. There is no other common commonality really between them. And they start assimilating with each other's things, you know. I mean look at how many people never even spoke about God that you know that all of a sudden with the whole Bundy thing, everybody's like, oh, amen, praise God, you know, and stuff like that. I mean it's just out the assimilation is crazy and then you have people that truly convert. But go ahead and, and continue. Yeah, that, that's spot on, and we saw kind of like the, the transformation of Pete Santilli from Pete Santilli to suddenly he was, you know, he was a cowboy, <laughs> wearing cowboy hats and spurs, you know, it was just, and that, that's what happens in these, in these little groups is, and, and a lot of them, you know, to me it was, it, it was, a lot of the interactions were really good and they were really good people, but there's a lot of mental illness in there too and a lot of sadness, sickness, worry, and fear. A lot of any day now, uh, the false flag is going to come, or any day now, you know, the freaking the Gestapo is going to show up at your door and drag you off to a FEMA camp. You know, and there, there was too much of that. It was just, it was constant. And we needed more empowering, inspiring, encouraging views in there. And I, I tried to bring that, but geez, you know, during, I felt like I, I fell into like a black hole for like four months from the time the Oregon standoff started until I started waking up to what was really going on here. And there wasn't was a, a of, very fun place to There was a lot of dramatic, Eric, from, from an outside perspective, and because I was watching a lot of the stuff because, you know, the whole Molly thing and the fake shooting and all that crap and, and right. you know, some other stuff. But um, you, there was a dramatic change in you week after week after week. I mean, it was a very dramatic, visible, noticeable change in you along the way. And there is with a lot of them. Mike Soror is another one. Lots of different changes that that people outside of that group very easily notice it's like it's like you know if, if i have a kid and i go away you know and i'm gone for a year and i come back it's extremely noticeable how how much that kid has changed and grown but if i see them every day you don't notice those changes so much so from the from for all the people that are involved in these groups they just don't see 
this downward sp- spiral of which they're a part of until, you know, they hit that bottom. But um, anyways, Eric, thank you very, very much for, for coming on the show. And a great point about the Pete Santilli and the cowboy hat. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you saw Pete Santilli after Bundy Ranch, I mean, he looked kind of Joe Roganish, bald head, clean shaven. And, you know, by time he's just fully, you know, uh, not just assimilated, but converted into the Bundy uh, cult. Uh, he now is a cowboy, long hair, full beard, cowboy hat, and all of that. And those things are very, very important um, to to be mindful of. So thanks for bringing that up, uh, Eric. And I hope to have you back on. We'll definitely talk about a health show and uh, and kind of work on that from there. But I appreciate you coming on tonight. Oh, thank thank you so much for having me, Sherry. You know. It wasn't it amazing that once we got together and started talking, how much we had in common. I, I mean, we both talk kickboxing, the naturopathic medicine. Oh, we both play music. I mean, it just – and I want everybody out there to give give other people a chance. You know, give it a chance before you judge. You have to. You have to get to know people. I mean, the people that went to the refuge and who these leaders were, they should have been vetting everybody if they were going to do this. They would probably have a lot less trouble or a lot less people in jail. I mean, all of that, but it goes across the board with everything you do. Take the time to get to some sort of understanding about somebody and why they believe or think what they do before you judge them and decide you dislike them. You have a great night, Eric. I'm going to wrap up the show. We're running down to the last couple minutes, um, and we'll be, uh, we'll be back to doing this again soon. Oh, I, I totally look forward to it. Uh, can I say one more thing, Sherry, before I go? Sure. There, there's one thing I want people to look at. This was the biggest point that I wanted to make, and, and this is something that we all have to look at, is, is why Pete was not among all those driving to Clark County to meet with the constitutional sheriff and over 300 people at what would be the most important event to cover in the entire Oregon situation. That was the one that sealed the deal for me, that something was not right. I hear you. I hear you on that. I want to make sure you know all the listeners want you to start saying Oregon. Okay, I know you're a second amendment. Oh, did I do it again? So you I, I, you know what? I corrected you myself. All all they, they're all going this and <laughs> chat about it. All right, so uh, thanks for joining me, and I will have you back again soon. I'm going to wrap up this show. All right, you guys, I, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you giving Eric your ear uh, and hearing and learning a little bit more. We'll do more of that. Um, you know, as I always tell you, our worlds are as small as we make them, and our words have real power, and they have impact on someone probably lots of people. Are you only seeking to confirm your biases? If so, then you are not seeking truth. You are instead isolating yourself by your own ideology and beliefs, and you're creating that ideology with every click that you do online because no one's doing that to you. You are. You have control. You have to start using it, just like those people that are awaiting their sentencing or their trials so, and, and their supporters blindly believing in things that they truly do not understand. What are you putting out there? Propaganda goes both ways. It's up to each of you to take responsibility for the propaganda that you participate in, whether you create it or you curate it. Caring means a lot of things, including what we put out there for the world. How much you do really care? Well, that's a question only you can answer. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives on Blog Talk Radio, Podbean, or on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. Don't forget to check out the Rise of the Modern Cult series. I promise you part three will be done soon, soon, soon hopefully by the end of this weekend so that we can start the next week fresh because lots going on next week. If you like what I'm doing, please share my work, whether it's the shows or the articles or both. If you really want to show your love for what I do, feel free to give me a tip. The show's PayPal link is available on the left sidebar of the website. Every gratuity is greatly appreciated. I work my butt off to do all of this. This is a labor of love. I'll be back live next Wednesday, August 10th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, with special guest Gary Hunt. He says he is the dean of the Patriot Movement. Some people call him a kingpin. Some people look at him almost in the same way that they look at a, at a, you know, at a mafia boss. Um, a lot of people that are aware of his name know him as a Timothy McVeigh supporter, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, and we're going to be talking about that on the show, and Gary is pretty vocal about his support in, in that um, in, in him and the causes and, and, and the other militia. So until next week, be kind to one another, whether you like each other or not. Be open to people. Be open to ideas, ideas that challenge your own rhetoric. That's it for me tonight. Thanks so much for listening. I love you all. 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.